0: Thanks for joining us on the Roots of American Music podcast. This is the final episode of our series. We have Morgan McCaskey joining us along with Jason Myers. And since we recorded this uh, some time ago, Morgan McCaskey has been named Roots of American Music's new artistic director. So. Uh, you won't hear it referenced in the podcast, but just wanted to share the news that the person you were hearing, uh, Morgan is now, uh, uh, an even greater part of roots of American music. Now on with the show. All right. As promised, I'm here live with Jason Myers and Morgan McCaskey. Hi, Morgan. Hi there. And hi, Jason. Hey, Craig. So first, before we get started, uh, the podcast audience hasn't met Jason yet. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do with Rome?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Jason Myers. I'm the executive director of Roots of American Music. Started off as a teaching artist back in 2016 and uh, um, kind of been a part of every, every part of the organization leading up to, to now. And uh, now I'm the executive director. I oversee um, all parts of the organization.
0: So you're kind of an important guy
1: uh yeah, i'm sure
0: <laughs> <laughs> and as uh as you guys heard Morgan McCaskey is with us as well. Hi Morgan again.
2: Hello again.
0: So, how did you first get involved with Rome? Um I know you teach music, I know you're a performer and we'll get into all of that, but how did you first get involved with the uh, Roots of American Music?
2: Yeah, I work at when in my mind I consider the sister organization which um, used to be called Fairmount School of Music. I started teaching there, I believe, in um, early 2015. Um, we're now called Musicology, but um, Kevin Richards, who founded Rome, um, he uh, also founded the music school. So that's how I first became introduced to Roots of American Music, just through a um, same parent organization sort of deal.
0: Okay, well, and I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the programs that you teach and where you teach. But first, I want to talk about you a little bit as a musician. Um, how did you get started playing? Um, and and you told me before we started that you've been uh, an independent musician for the last decade or so. Uh, if you could just tell me a little bit about how you got started, I'd love to hear the story.
2: Sure. Um, I come from a very big family. Uh piano lessons were just part of what we did they were not optional (laughs) but i was the kid that fell in love with it so i was three years old i started here with a suzuki teacher in cleveland heights and then transitioned to the cleveland music school settlement and studied um, classical performance driven piano all the way through um, um, through college but then i found an advertisement in the mail when i was like 9 or 10 my parents had actually thrown away into the recycling and it was for guitar lessons and i wrote a little note and slid it under the door asking if i could do some guitar lessons um, because i'd been obsessed with music i'd pour through records and uh you know write down who the producers were who were the instrumentalists that played ride my bike to the the bookstore and listen to tapes and cds and go through my parents records and they acquiesced and i became obsessed with the guitar and sort of took took the place of the piano and um, just sort of organically got into songwriting and then um, actually went to Cuyahoga Community College for their, um, they have a program where you could take um, college courses as a high schooler and have dual accreditation. And so I got connected with some w- really wonderful professors that helped me with um, d- sharpen some of those skills. But that's sort of the, the origins of how I got into music.
0: And so then You know, you start playing and you learn and you write, start finding your voice as a songwriter. You know, when, when do you, how do you think that developed and, and where do you think your voice came from as a songwriter? I mean, did the subject matter or I mean, just how did, how did you come to find the stuff you were passionate enough to write and put pen to paper and sing about?
2: It's a great question. I feel like I'm still trying to find my voice in many ways. Um, even the song played to the intro of this podcast was now written quite quite a long time ago. It was written over a decade ago, and you know, I heard, I hear, I've heard an artist, another artist that I respect, say, um, and he's a man, so I'm going to use male pronouns. But um, you know, he's written very autobiographically always through a 25 plus year career, and so while he may not personally identify with the man who wrote those songs years ago, he can um, really have compassion and put himself in that man's shoes and um, sort of cover his own material. And so I very much resonated with that statement. Well, I don't necessarily um, ideologically, philosophically find myself in the same place that I did when I wrote some of um, the songs, because a lot of them were very like theologically driven to so come from a very religious upbringing. Um, that was the impetus for a lot of the subject matter. And then sonically, I think I was influenced and currently am influenced by just everything I was listening to.
0: And so what's your, what's your vintage? Like what's, uh, what's the stuff that you grew up on? What's the first stuff that really grabbed you and, and made you feel it like in the back of your skull that you just, you just had to do this kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. I grew up with, my parents had a lot of Christian albums, which were okay, but they didn't really strike me. But when we went to the Cleveland Orchestra, that was amazing. And just um, there was a whole nother level of music. And then um, I remember when my first guitar teacher, he showed me uh, Joshua Tree by U2, introduced me to some Beatles. This was all revolutionary sort of stuff for me as I didn't grow up listening to most popular music. you know, her hearing Led Zeppelin, and then and then in high school hearing artists really digging into Joni Mitchell's um, discography, um, Nick Drake, um, and then music was more accessible at that time through internet streaming, so I got involved in the indie world, and but yeah, I think probably the orchestra was a seminal moment, and then some of the first CDs my original guitar teacher lent me.
0: Yeah. It's one of those early memories that my family will never let me forget is, the, is we were, we were at some festival and air supply was playing and I, I sat there and I just stared at them, the two singers, <laughs> and it's felt like there were a hundred people on stage. And, you know, I, I now fashion myself, this music, this music person with these refined tastes, but it all kinda, it all kinda started with a couple of Australian dudes doing harmony. <laughs> in the eighties um, <laughs> and just like blowing my eyes wide open. How about you, Jason?
1: Well, I just wanted to jump in and say that uh, Morgan, I think um, I, I, it could be a false memory, but I swear the very first time I heard you play was at the uh, the Grog shop. I wanna say probably 12 years ago, you were playing some Fender guitar um, of some sort and uh, you just blew me away. And I knew that uh, what I saw you at that time i was like i've, I've got to get to know who this person is so <laughs> just wanted to add that real quick. no
2: oh, thank you my friend
0: <laughs> um so one of the one of the things that i did uh ahead of this podcast was i checked out some of your music and there was one song in particular there, there were multiple songs but there was one in particular that i definitely wanted to bring up and talk about i'm going to play a quick clip of a song called crushed because it the ending of it features These huge huge choruses and these wonderful harmonies and and kind of almost like singing in the round and so i want to play it first i want everybody to hear it and then uh if you could tell us a little bit about how that came to be and kind of if there's any stories behind it so here's a clip of crushed by morgan mccaskey Oh, that's just a clip. Now, when I heard that, there were a few things that came to my mind. Number one, it's huge. It's hugely anthemic. It's celebratory. And you couldn't have made it less about yourself. So tell me, tell me what that was all about. Because I was just fascinated listening to it.
2: Thank you for those kind words. Um, I am someone that really, really values collaboration, and so one of the things that I've always tried to do as an artist, even if I'm arranging um, a piece, like an original music piece or any music piece, is try to think about which people would be well suited, like what what their sonic palette is, what their particular skill set um, is, and have them you know play your track um, on the tune. Um, But this was kind of a last minute scramble. (laughs) And I tend to be kind of organized and planned out. And I think it was like, oh, man, I remember calling all my friends. I have so many really talented musician friends and just saying, I would like to do uh, vocal gang vocals in the stairwell I recorded in a beautiful big house in Cleveland Heights. And so I got um at least 10 of my friends who are all wonderful musicians in their own right some and some just sing in their cars and um <laughs> quickly you know about tenors alto bass etc and then later the vocals are pretty simple straightforward harmonies third fifth sixth etc and the the little um the my two friends that were singing the response section um but it 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 sort of was a a, a literal exemplification of the lyric That sometimes it takes an outside word of love or um, action of love to help us know our own uh, worth and value inherent as human beings. And so to feel that collective power of all these men and women standing around me, just it was a really hot day. We had to turn the air conditioning off so that (laughs) it'd be quiet. Some people had just moved and were stinky and sweaty, but everybody came and lent their voice, lifted their voice um, to tie in thematically and gave it their all. And it's, it's very special because of that.
0: Well, you can tell, you can tell, you can hear it. I knew none of that when I heard it the first time and I just picked it, picked it right out. Um, yeah, I've, it's, uh, it's on a single that Morgan did called uh lover less wild. Yeah. Jason.
1: I just wanted to say that I'm surprised that air conditioning worked in the Cleveland Heights building. That's all <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's very true well thanks uh i appreciate you telling us that story i appreciate you sharing your art with us um and kind of the process because the the process is uh and the the inspiration and and where the art comes from like that's that's the magic that's the stuff that's really hard to put words to um it's not the same for every single song it's not the same for every artist and and so i i think that's kind of the magic so i appreciate you going through that with us um and some of that magic is, I, I think, I'm guessing, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's probably what what you're trying to teach when you are teaching music to your classes and students. Um, and you, you teach at a school, and that's where we're going to kind of transition to next. We're going to talk about um, a Roots of American Music uh, topic, the Kalamazoo Gals, uh, a song that you taught, Um, So, but first of all, tell us a little bit about um, what it's like to teach at the Cleveland Montessori School.
2: Yeah, that is, that's very fun. Um, (laughs) I don't know if any of your audience members are into the Enneagram, it's an ancient personality typing system, but if you are, I identify as a seven, and so I thrive on spontaneity. And when you're working with such a diverse and energetic, really energetic group of kids, I think um, having a plan, but being willing to divert from the plan and respond in the moment is essential. So um, I think I, I highly value it. Like the kids there are so bright. It's such a diverse, wonderful group and they always help me learn something new. And so keeps me on my toes, but I, I walk away feeling very filled myself.
0: Um, and so how long have you been doing that?
2: I think since right before the pandemic, I think Kevin... Richards um, invited me to come and play a song with him. And then they were looking for someone to come work with the fourth and the fifth graders. It's once a week during the school year on Fridays. And um, so it was right before the pandemic, I started.
0: That's such a great age. It's such a formative time for kids where most of them haven't, haven't formed um, too many opinions outside of their parents. When it comes to music, they haven't learned Oh, they're going to, they haven't really entered the world of music in school yet. Um, So how, how does it feel to have them at like such an early formative age, but old enough where they can kind of get it?
2: Well, I I concur with what you just said. And also a lot of these kids, particularly in in this Uh, 2021 to 2022 school year, have very strong opinions regarding the music they like. I'm learning about rap groups from Serbia and hip hop artists I've never heard of and you name it, anything under the sun. So um, we even played uh, well, I'm going to, I'm diverting too much. So to answer your no, question. No, you're not. Go, go for it. Tell us. What did you do? It's play? a fun, <laughs> we, I started doing a game with them that they really enjoy um, where we've gone through basic song structure and just, if they can pick a song that's clean, we have to have it's clean family friendly lyrics. If they have good behavior and are engaging well at the end of our session, the last 10 minutes or so um, we'll rotate students, but one or two students will, um, get to play their song and then we'll identify the parts of the song, intro verses, chorus and name instrumentation and genre themes in the song, the main message, they can identify a hook and they're really, really smart. So I, in terms of age and being formative, I love their unbridled passion. <laughs> they're not too self-conscious yet. Um, they're really, really engaged and, um, and that, that makes it fun. They're not so worried about what other people think. They're just really present, embodied in the moment, ready to ready to get to it.
0: And so how do they take the lesson plans, you know, when you do, cause I'm, I wanna transition into the Kalamazoo gal story in particular. Um, how do they, how do they take to lessons about music and stories from, you know, way before we were born, let alone way before they were born?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to get a bit creative with that one. That was a special highlighted week. We spent one main week really highlighting it. And then we we practiced the song and referenced it the the weeks preceding and um, after. Um, So I'm
0: sorry to interrupt you. But just just briefly for the audience out there, can you give kind of a synopsis of the, the Kalamazoo gal story and, and what you know, what the lesson plan was before we get to the song?
2: Absolutely, yeah. It was actually—I'm—I'm I'm ashamed to say—it was a new story to me as well. So, hey, don't be
0: ashamed. It was new to me as well.
2: <laughs> so um, during World War II, all the men leave and they go—you know—off to fight the war. And we have the proverbial Rosie the Riveter at home. And in Kalamazoo, Michigan, the Gibson guitar factory was in need um, of workers, but they had to utilize some of their machinery and their, their resources, medals for purposes of war. Um, but they were still producing certain guitars. In fact, this one guitar called the Banner Guitar, which has a slogan on the headstock, only the Gibson is good enough. The Kalamazoo gals were women that worked um, in, every, in every way making these guitars from gluing wood together to inspecting them. Um, and they worked in pretty horrid conditions. Um, in terms of heat and cold and there there was a professor and he discovered um some years ago now probably 10 10 12 years ago um that he he was looking through some historical artifacts and found a photograph of all these women outside the gibson guitar factory in kalamazoo michigan and he was like what in the world there were women there this this story had not been told and so these women had Worked hard, created this incredibly desirable historic instrument, and had not received recognition for their labor. The Gibson factory did not acknowledge that they had females working at the working building these guitars. Um, so the purpose of highlighting this story um, to lift the voices of women who need to be recognized for their skill set and their work, and with a direct, indirect relationship with music.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. But I mean, at one point in time, maybe it was like considered a bad thing to, to find out that a guitar was made by a female because nobody would want to buy it. And now here we are with this inspirational story that everybody should know and, and people want that we want people to know. And I think people want to know. Um, it's, it's amazing that, that pieces of history like that could still be out there lost.
2: It's, it certainly is, and I think this is an apropos time to highlight the story. I hope it becomes um, routinely highlighted in greater music curriculum um, with all the movements we've seen um, regarding equality in our culture in the past 10 years. Um, so it's a story that that needs to be told. And uh, it's funny to see even with the kids at the Montessori school, sometimes they're like, "I one little <laughs> young man, he said, yeah the men are at war because the men are better and we're like well let's let's refrain from that kind of language that they were you know they were putting themselves in harm's way but so are these women when the in the culture of the day women were meant to be home so
0: yeah little little boys and things <laughs> that they say right um but it, it is it is uh i mean it, it is an interesting story um the the song in particular kalamazoo gals um What was it like, uh, first of all, learning that song and then trying to teach it to a bunch of kids who might be a little bit more interested in Serbian hip hop?
2: (laughs) Great question. Well, fortunately, we've been practicing song analysis for some time. So we took that same skill set and applied it to the Kalamazoo Gals song after They'd heard the story of the Kalamazoo Gals. I showed them some video clips, some of them enlarged some photos on a screen there and asked them what they saw. Then we did the same thing with the song. We printed out the lyrics. We listened to the recording that um, uh, Kevin Richards had sent. And then we went through verse by verse and saw the relationship between um, the lyrics and the story of the Kalamazoo gals. And we defined terms as we went and I tried to make it as fun and interesting and concise as possible.
0: So what, what was the craziest question that anybody asked about the Kalamazoo gals or the song, or, or does anything pop out other than, other than the outburst of the one young boy about the <laughs> men going to war?
2: <laughs> I think it's just, it hits home every time. Like, well, why can't, why can't a girl make a guitar? Like, it's just seems like such an obscene wackadoodle backwards thing. Like, why, why were they so mad? They were helping out like this indignation. Um, And there, there was quite a bit of that. Like, well, why didn't, why didn't they get notoriety? Why, why, why? Just um, true, honest to God inquisitiveness. um, That was very persistent.
0: Well, and it's, it's just, it's amazing because it shows just how far we've come and that, that it could be so confusing and so surprising that somebody wouldn't get credit. Um, you know, I, I, know, I know we always focus on how far we have to go. Um, but it's interesting to look that far back and, and see just how, how different things are today from, from where they were back then. Do, do you think the kids get any concept of that? Or is that left for us, uh, us older folks?
2: I hope they can at least um, have a seed planted, um, and so I'd ask questions about, well, what was going on in World War II, and we'd get some other in that time period. Pull pull from a couple other resources to get a picture of what American society might be looked like. We talked about racial division, and that's an extremely relevant um, thing because sure. it's such a diverse international classroom and um, gender-related segregation and all sorts of things. So I think tying things in. Um, you know, and every everybody was there was very familiar with the Black Lives Matter movement and the killing of George Floyd. Um, as we have a lot of BIPOC students, um, and so even just tying tying in the fact that those sorts of injustices, even though the civil rights movement was later, you know, are are very much related, and that seemed to garner more interest.
0: So when it was all said and done, they learned the song. How did it come out? How do you think the kids did? Um, and do you think uh did, did they end up kind of enjoying it did a certain number of them end up enjoying the song
2: I think so I think so um they they did their best to get all that syllabic consistency and you know <laughs> blues blues styled vocaling but I think they did a really good job and even I there's some very soft spoken students but they they sang as well and I was proud of everybody for just giving it their all they were very excited that they were going to be in a music video so i think that was motivational
0: well we're gonna play the song in a minute but i just want to say thanks morgan i i really appreciate your time today i i appreciate you sharing our your stories with us and i appreciate what you what you're doing for all the kids um you know and and passing along that musical legacy you know whatever it was that grabbed those of us um, who play and and who have played and who are giant fans, um, you know, creating that next generation of, of fans and appreciators is it's hugely important. And, uh, and it, it sounds like you're a worthy, a worthy teacher.
2: No, thank you. I do think music is the universal language and we can all be appreciators of some form of it, whether or not we are makers. So I concur.
0: All right, Jason, anything else from you?
1: I just want to say thank you, Morgan. You are an absolute gem and we are very uh, grateful that you're uh, a part of this organization.
2: Thank you. You as well.
0: All right, last but not least, uh, here is them gals of Kalamazoo. Um, please stay tuned, subscribe, tell a friend about the podcast. We'll be back with another episode next month. Thanks.
3: Beyond our shores in 42, men went to fight the Left at home, a willing force of women on our shore. Some built ships and planes and tanks, and some machine guns. But some who lived in Kalamazoo Built the best guitars around The banners what they crafted Made of wood and wires and glue Would have Guthrie me a purchase But a holly bop want to. And to this day the company says No cars are made at all During the time of World War II And never buyed hundred No dress applied in summer, and winter time was cold. They lost their jobs. Forty-six men returning to world parole. Only Gibson is good enough, the distinctive banner pen. Twenty-five thousand of these guitars made by, made women, by women, not by men. Two hundred gals from California. Them gals from Zoo. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier. The United States is locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains. We'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality, of the fighting, and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war now back to the show